So the headline here is that associations have been actively contributing to shaping workforces since day one. That is pretty much a bread and butter activity for organizations and ensuring that skilled, adaptable workforce that meets what is, as we know, ever more rapidly evolving workplace demands. Hi, I'm your host, Jude Pereira. And we're at our second episode now with none other than Rich Green and Jennifer Baker. Today, we'll be discussing recruitment trends, the importance of inclusivity, and how best to shape your workforce in the publishing world. Without further ado, let's just dive right in. Jennifer Rich, welcome to the Research Impact Podcast. Thank you so much, dude. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today and Rich as well. We have known each other for a while and the opportunity to have this conversation on this topic is fantastic because Rich is a real expert and has a lot to contribute and I know we're going to have a good conversation. For those of you I don't know out there, I am Jennifer Baker. I am an association management professional. And my focus is helping organizations bridge the gap between strategy and execution. That's really been a theme throughout my career. And I've had the opportunity to work with both individuals and employers on various issues related to recruitment and workforce development. As part of my work at ASAE, which is the Center for Association Leadership, I ran Association Career HQ, and I will put in a plug. It's a great example of a niche job board that helps folks, both individuals and recruiters. And it's a one-stop shop and provides talent management resources as well as career management resources. And I had that experience and through that gained a real appreciation and understanding of recruitment, pain points, needs, as well as workforce issues. And so recruitment and workforce Development are two of my favorite conversational focuses and topics, and I'm really looking forward to talking about those with you all today. Rich, can I throw it over to you? It's wonderful to be here. This is a really exciting opportunity, a very cool format, and I've just enjoyed reconnecting with Jennifer and thinking about some of the discussion points that we want to go through today and how those impact association leaders. Again, for anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Rich Green. I run the business development team at Magex. Magex is a tricky spelling, M-A-D-G-E-X. We are Wiley's career center solution. So it's a career center solution specifically designed for associations, which is now offered by Wiley, the world's largest society publisher. I've been working at Magex for a little over a decade, coming up now on 11 years. I'm a complete recruitment advertising nerd, and I'm super stoked to be chatting a bit more about it today. As I said, I am super excited to have you both here. You're thought leaders in your own respect in the same industry, so that is actually a catalyst for some great conversations. We're now in the last part of 2023. So can you comment on some of the recruitment trends we've seen recently? Yes. And I looked at my calendar today as I was getting ready for this and thought, wow, here we are in September. And September is always, for me, sort of a second new year, back to school time. 
So it seems perfect to be talking about where we are and, and where we need to look ahead to. What's really interesting to me in terms of trends are the pretty dramatic swings in power dynamics that we've seen between job seekers and employers in a relatively short period of time. And I think those power shifts really underlie and help drive some of the other trends related to good and bad recruitment practices, as well as, frankly, good and bad job seeker behaviors, because we know those exist as well out there. Our audience knows that for a while, job seekers clearly held the upper hand. Great resignation, anybody? Ring, ring some bells. So it struck me, I saw that this past July, the job openings and labor turnover survey data, that JOLTS report data, actually declared, announced essentially that the great resignation was over. That was a signal in that report because there was a return of the quits rate to its average rate during 2019, right? Pre-pandemic of 2.3%. So that was that signal, that great resignation was over. And now, and you all may be hearing it among your staff, among your colleagues, just looking out in the world, we're seeing that many employees are opting to sit tight. They're not so eager to leave. And a lot of that, I think, are macro trends, economic uncertainty that's unfolding in the world for a lot of reasons. But when you combine that with what we're seeing among larger employers who certainly lead the way, what they do ends up trickling downstream. When they are leading the way and really starting to feel empowered enough to mandate return to work, either for a set number of days and in some cases completely back to the office, I would say it's pretty clear to me that the power is shifting back once again to employers in a way that we have not seen. There's one other interesting trend that I'll comment on, and it's the rise and really rapid adoption of AI in the workplace. And I was thinking about this. John Connor, for any Terminator fans out there, commented that, you know, this is the world now. Logged on, plugged in, all the time. And that was a commentary on the overuse of technology in general in our world. What I'm thinking about and what I'm seeing is that what's plugged in all the time may not necessarily be us, but it's those algorithms that are working in the background. It's when Alexa answers us to the question we didn't even know we have asked. And specifically for recruitment, just recently, I was in an HR tech system in an application flow. And right off the bat, there was a checkbox that said, a notification said, this employer uses AI algorithms to match job seeker applications with job postings and scores them and provides that to the hiring manager. So they were disclosing that. And then you could opt out. And it raised all kinds of questions in my mind. Does the employer, did they proactively do this? How many other systems will have this? What is the perception if a job seeker opts out? Do they get moved into a different category because they weren't willing to participate? So I think this is another emerging trend. It's not brand new, right? It's really starting to kick off though and accelerate, I think, through 2023. And it's only going to get faster in my mind. That really has real implications for especially the topic we're going to be talking about in a little bit, that diversity 
and inclusion piece. Brilliant. Now, you talked a bit about the winding down of the great resignation and AI. What do you see happening in the next couple of years? I know you touched on that a little bit, but could you give us a look into your crystal ball and give us a little bit of a look of what you see happening in the next couple of years? I really think that, and we'll be talking about this in a little bit, this rise of diversity and inclusion is going to become something that employers increasingly will be forced to reckon with. And we're going to see, I think, really a push and a pull as non-digital natives, which I know is probably not the right term to use anymore, but they're going to be really starting to exit the workforce. And you'll have complete digital natives, you know, us digital immigrants will be leaving, the digital natives will be for, and it's a generation of folks who do not have the same view of work. And those kinds of cultural population lifespan trends, I think are really going to be impacting recruitment, retention, and what is needed for an employer to keep an engaged productive workforce. And I think with the rise of AI, with the continued acceleration of tools, high volume employers, those managing large workforces are going to be the laboratories of figuring out what's working, what's not working. And smaller employers are going to be doing what they do today, which is really trying to compete and really trying to figure out how can they tack and turn in the face of what is changing in a way. And I'll talk about this later. I feel like we're still in the sausage making, right? We're not sure where it's going to go. And it is becoming, whereas HR might have been, especially for a small employer, something more transactional. Someone leaves, I hire, I plug the hole, I'm done. I think it's becoming really a strategic imperative for business success for small to medium businesses in a way that it's always been for large businesses, but it's becoming that way for smaller businesses and certainly for associations as employers themselves and as they look at workforces that they represent in these spaces. Your point there about HR becoming less transactional, I think, is so unbelievably true. And sometimes it's really hard to see when you're kind of focused on what's happened in the last six months, what's going to happen in the next. If you wind the clock back 20 years and think about how people look for work in a very jovial manner, someone picks up a print newspaper, they flick to the back pages, they get a big highlighter pen and they circle a job that's in the right location, maybe is paying a little bit more money than they might be on now. The commute is a bit better. Maybe it's a slightly better job title. And that was kind of it. And the opportunity for an organization to communicate the value of what that role will contribute to the organization or the values that the organization themselves hold was completely lost because you're paying per character. And it's really important, I think, to take a look at how far recruit advertising has come in, in that period of time. And 20 years is not a lot of time. I, I know a lot has changed in 20 years, but if you think about behaviors, attitudes, and even how many generations have entered and left the workforce in that time, it's, it's not a big period of time in, in terms of economic development. I think it's important to be aware of the folks that are listening to this going to be a bit of a mix of, I think, association leaders and also HR professionals, and they're going to have different lenses on this. 
But the, the big thing that we're seeing at Magex, and we're running about 200 job boards in, in all different industries for, for associations and also for other B2B brands, is we're seeing that shift away from a transaction, as Jennifer mentioned, to talent acquisition. I had to be the first to use a, a buzzword in, in the fast cast, but it is less about, Hey, I'm going to come along to a job board and I'm going to post a job for $300. I'm really hoping that the right person sees it. And I'm going to choose a niche job board because that gives me the best chance of a qualified person seeing it. We're seeing a shift away from that more towards a working with a job board that can expand the reach into other areas and ex also expand the reach beyond just the job ad. So how do I, as an employer, communicate the values that I have as an organization and how does that help me to attract the next generation of talent? And to cite another of Jennifer's points in the newer generation, it's always tricky when we talk about a new generation in a workforce because the question is always, is this a generational thing or is this a life stage thing? Is this just the fact that a lot of 20-year-olds are coming into work or is it the fact that these 20-year-olds are different to the 20-year-olds 20 years ago? That's always an important question to ask. But the one really important thing is particularly after the attitude to work has changed and people can afford to be more selective. The, the idea of remote or hybrid working has really changed things. People can afford to work for an employer on the other side of the country now without relocating them or their whole family or entering into some godal commute. So I, based in Toronto, can now work for Amazon, based out in Seattle, you know, from my home office here. And that's a real game changer. That means that I'm now picking an employer that I want to work with based on their values. And is this work meaningful to me? And so the, the opening up of so many more opportunities to job seekers means that things like communicating values have become a lot more important. This episode is brought to you by Wiley Partner Solutions. As the landscape of access continues to change throughout the research and publishing ecosystem, we seek to help our partners and customers explore and adapt to these changes in ways that deliver sustainable growth and a better research experience throughout the researcher journey. Find out more at www.wiley.com forward slash partner solutions. Brilliant. So moving on to one very important trend that's here to stay, which is more inclusive hiring efforts, which we touched on. So DEI has been on the top of mind for at least the last three years in a way that it really had not been before. So as we think about recruitment, where are we and what are some tips and ideas and how do associations and industry employers approach this? Yeah, I think, look, this is an important question. One important thing to mention is that this isn't a trend. This is an emergence. And that's such an important point to get across. This is certainly not sad. So recruitment is a funny area because people don't tend to think about it when they think about diversity efforts. But Magix did a huge study a couple of years ago, and you can head to diversity.magex.com and Magex is M-A-D-G-E-X in case anyone needs to spell that out. So diversity.magex.com. We did a huge study about all of the unconscious biases that job seekers come across when they're looking for work. And it was completely mind blowing, just the amount of bias that folks come across when they're looking to 
progress their professional careers. One thing we're trying to do more of at Magix is, is education, which I think is always the answer to this, is better education on foundational things like unconscious bias. Now, some of the, the research that we did opened up my eyes to things I didn't even dream of thinking about. So the idea of using the word family in a job description, for example, we are looking for a new member to join our family is a pretty common thing that you might see in a job description. Now, if you go on that company's website and you look at the, the leadership team or you look at the staff and it's a bunch of white men and you're not a white man, you're a person of color or you're a person of a different identity you're really not going to feel like you belong in that family. So all of these kind of things that are unconscious, I think a lot of people don't consider when they're writing a job ad can have a huge impact on the kind of candidates that they're going to be attracting. Yeah, I love that point, Rich. And I want to jump in with two pieces here that really riff off of that and what you've got me thinking about. First of all, I feel like this trend is hard to get a beat on in some ways. Because over the summer, we saw news emerging about how DEI positions, which had seen incredible growth in job postings for people to actually fill a role where they were responsible for diversity, inclusion, belonging, creating these environments. I saw a stat that said between September 2019 and September 2020, job postings for these kinds of positions on Indeed rose by 56.3%. That's their own reporting. LinkedIn study found that at the chief level, those chief DNI officers grew by 169% from 2019 to 2022. Whoa, right? Then we start to see it sort of fall apart. And DEI professionals are concerned as economic pressures start pressing down. These are the kinds of positions that end up getting cut, especially at large companies, and may never have truly existed as standalone positions at small companies or medium companies. And yet the key, as Rich has alluded to, and I think we're seeing part of an employer's key to being successful going forward is going to be paying attention to DE and INA. So I think there's that is the thing that seems most easy to cut and let go of strategically stepping back for folks to really think about this. Ask careful questions and go through your own processes. I have been amazed that, and this mirrors the point that Rich raised around, you can talk a lot, but how are you walking the talk and how deep does it really go? So you may put a really good updated job posting out there, encouraging people of all kinds to apply. I have been steadily seeing changes in language that is really heartening, that really seems to be opening up and embracing this concept. And yet you push people into applicant tracking systems where the idea of you know, you might have said we value diversity and pay transparency and all of this. And then the applicant tracking system forces people to put one number in for their salary or to identify without the option of identifying out, right? Not identifying pronouns or whatever those pieces may be. So especially for those smaller SMBs and really micro companies, it's an investment of time, but go through your own process and see 
Is it really being supportive throughout? That would be a tip that I would suggest. And remember that it's not a destination, it's a journey. That's very trite, I think, but it's incremental. And I will tell you, I have spoken with leaders of organizations that say, we are committed to this. But the reality is, if you go to our workforce today, this is who we are. We're trying to change. So what do we do? And we brainstorm some ideas that it's not that you just throw your hands up and say, well, all our pictures are, you know, of one kind person. What you could do instead is maybe have people, instead of using pictures, put up things that are meaningful to them or provide bios that make visible, invisible aspects of diversity. And I know we'll be talking about this, Rich, about how it's more than just the color. That's certainly a piece of the visible, but there's a lot more and it's a lot more nuanced and we're going to have to all get pretty smart on that, I think, going forward. I think you had mentioned the expansion of the acronym there to be DEI and A. And we're seeing that more frequently now with the A representing accessibility. And I think that's an important consideration is particularly when we're talking about digital resources that, I mean, certainly at Magic, we believe access to the web is a human right. And when we talk about D and I, I think we're talking about making things accessible to everyone. At Magix, we do an accessibility audit of our job board platform, our careers in a platform. And that involves having people who are part of sites use our job board websites and use a screen reader to navigate them. And I distinctly remember in Magix HQ many years ago, witnessing firsthand someone trying to navigate one of our job board websites to look for a job using a screen reader. And it blew my mind just it was just a completely different way of someone consuming content online and just a whole new world. And it, it's just not something I'd ever considered. And seeing how they struggled in some website instances to use a website navigation. So we think about all the tabs along the top of the website that you're going to click on. You don't think twice about it. You can click through them pretty easily. There's often like a categorization if you're on you know, Craigslist or if you're on a job board website where you're looking to refine or even a retail website, you're looking for a new pair of shoes and you're like refining your criteria on the left-hand side and you're expanding a category, then you get subcategory options and then sub. Trying to navigate that with a screen reader is a whole different kettle of fish. And seeing that once, I now, it's in the back of my mind 10 years later, every time I, I try and navigate a website. So it's things like that, 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 there's twofold. I mean, frankly, you could end up in a lawsuit if you're not building accessible websites. I mean, Beyonce was was a victim of that within the last few years of her ticket website, I think it was, which wasn't accessible. But the reality is that, you know, about a third of all Americans are going to face a disability at some point in their life. I would say, you know, if you're creating websites, have it as a firm priority. If you're using third parties to develop web applications for you, hold them to a higher standard when it comes to accessibility. Ask them what their principles, standards, and practices are, because, you know, it's really important. I broke my hand 10 weeks ago and couldn't type and had to navigate my computer with my voice. It was a whole world of pain to try and do that. So, you know, Jennifer, to your point, when we spoke earlier, you know, walking a mile in someone else's shoes is just so powerful when thinking about 
that. So I'd encourage people to expand their thoughts when they're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but just accessibility for everyone. Brilliant. Now, in order to tie this question up, I just want to ask for any scale, large, medium, small corporations who are on the fence to, you know, bettering their DNI practices or keeping to it, what is a piece of advice or something you can say to them for the future? What came to mind, Rich, as you were talking and as you've asked this question, dude, for me, and this may sound a bit of a tangent, so bear with me, but is the show The Voice. I don't know if you all have ever watched The Voice. For those of you familiar with it, it's a music show trying to discover talent. The judges begin with their backs turned to the performer. And so people come out and they're not being initially judged as so often we all are in various ways on how we look, what we're wearing, those kinds of things. It's really listening. It's really taking in somebody's talent. And when that happens, and we've seen this on this kind of show and other places, when you really take that opportunity to construct a process that allows you to hone in on the key things that you need to succeed and what someone can bring, you are going to discover amazing star performers, amazing specialists, managers, C-suite leaders. If your processes are constructed in that way, that gives folks the ability to really shine with their talent, and then you can make a good decision. So that's what keeps perkling up for me is in the end, there's a really powerful business case, which is if you want your business to survive and thrive, and who doesn't? And if you are publicly owned, you have even more pressures, not just your own personal desires and pressures, but even more pressures. And depending on where you're operating in the States or around the world, we are increasingly seeing regulatory pressures. So if you need the stick, I think those are growing, the sticks to make you comply. But I think that there is a carrot here that is really powerful. And it's almost to me like a user experience for both your internal stakeholders who are involved in hiring and the talent coming to you. That is going to pay dividends for the reputation of your business, for the health of your workforce in ways that it's just, it's compelling. I think it's very compelling. So that's what I would say is you can look at it both ways, but there are really good business reasons to stick to this and figure this out. Yeah, just... Echoing that final statement, the carrot is a delicious carrot here because if you operate a business or you represent an organization that in any way relies on engagement from people, which is pretty much every business, let's be honest, what's good for people is good for business. We're very fortunate to run a job boards, career centers, which are kind of like a marketplace. If you imagine the seesaw of supply and demand, where the demand is job-seeking professionals and the supply is employers looking to fill vacant positions. It's a very straightforward marketplace in, in that sense. If we can make our websites more accessible to more people and increase that demand side of the seesaw, it's good for business. Now, that's not our first and only priority when we're doing this, but I think it's often something that's lost is that these aren't box-ticking exercises. 
This is about making things more accessible to people, the people who are essentially the lifeblood of whatever business or organization you're running or representing. Thank you. I know for a fact that we can talk about that quite a bit more, but I'm just going to go into the next question. So this is narrowing things down a bit. There are folks listening in today that are from the association sector as well as employers. So how can associations actively contribute to shaping the workforce within their respective industries? So the headline here is that associations have been actively contributing to shaping workforces since day one. That is pretty much a bread and butter activity for organizations and ensuring that skilled, adaptable workforce that meets what is, as we know, ever more rapidly evolving workplace demands is that key role for these organizations. So it is, as I said earlier, a role that I think is going to be even more essential because we are in the middle of sausage making. We're not sure quite what's going to come out the other side. And I think where in the past we may have been able to see periods of stability, workplace stability, having an idea of what work is and what it looks like. I think that trajectory of long periods is going to be much more shortened. And so associations can play a key role in figuring out what does that look like? And they should really double down on what I would argue is a unique ability as connectors. They're the ultimate platform business, right? They bring together all these internal and external stakeholders. They infuse ideas and help ideas move and practices move across a particular landscape of focus, a profession or an industry. And so if they can double down on that role and really help both job seekers and employers, as Rich said, provide that education for them on two things, really the macro trends. What is out there now? What's coming? AI being a perfect example, generational change. And what does it really mean? Is it normal lifespan or is something really different happening here, as Rich highlighted? So those macro trends that they need to know to be successful in the world of work and in that realm, as well as best practices, they are uniquely positioned to convene people, surface current practices, evolve practices, and then promulgate them pretty effectively to start moving the needle on getting people to where they need to be and helping them really tack and turn in this ever faster pace of change. So that's really at the heart, I think, where associations' unique abilities have, I would argue, always laid and where they can really make a big difference going forward when it comes to the world of work and the workforce. Yeah, I think career development and workforce development um, is always a source of frustration for us um, because it's often pretty low down on the agenda at, at a society boardroom meeting. I was on a call yesterday here at Wiley um, with Dr. Jonathan Roscoe, who, who produces the Wiley Annual Society Member Survey, which we just got the findings in from our ninth iteration. Um, if you Google Wiley Society Member Survey, you can see all of free-to-access reports from previous years. The report this year is showing that society membership level is at its lowest point since we started the survey. The emergence that's been coming out specifically over the last 
three or four years is how much more likely particularly young people are to join a society that they perceive to offer good quality career developments. Now, career development support can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Sometimes that can be certification, it can be networking, it can be professional development in an education sense. Sometimes it can be a really damn good career center. So it, it can look different to different organizations. But the analysis that Dr. Roscoe discussed yesterday was that really a good workflow is good quality career development, being that carrot that pulls people in and then good networking opportunities, access to good content is really what makes people stick around. We've worked with, we're very fortunate to work with societies in lots of different industries. The one example of being a good shepherd for members and professionals career development is from the American Society of Civil Engineers. So we've worked alongside them while they've compiled a survey. I wouldn't even call it a survey. It's, it's more of a, an analysis really of different macroeconomic factors in their industry. So median pay in certain locations, number of job opportunities, and also cost of living indexes to produce a report that says, if you're a civil engineer and you're thinking about relocating, here are the top places to move to where you're going to have the best quality of life based on how much you're going to earn, how much it's going to cost you to live, the schools in the area. Now that is a superb example of being genuinely valuable and the difference of producing a piece of content like that, which requires money, requires investment, requires people, expertise, dedication, requires a lot of things, but the difference of producing a piece of content like that versus a, here's top 10 tips for what to expect in your interview that someone has read a hundred times and frankly could probably find a better example of that on a different website than yours for free as well just goes to show the importance of value. And, and when we sweat pieces of content and research like that with people like, like civil engineers, the organic traffic that's driven to a job board or a career center is night and day. When you produce something that's actually interesting and valuable, the difference in organic search traffic, because people just hitting Google going, I had a really bad week at work and I'm really not enjoying New York City. The building next door is going to be a, a 60 floor high rise next year. I want to move. Where should I move to? People discovering your association via search journey like that is so crucial. And those people might not have considered you as a professional resource before. They may not have engaged with you at that level. So my one piece of advice would be truly valuable, even if that requires a bit more elbow grease. Thank you so much. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you personally and on behalf of the podcast, Rich. Jennifer, you've been amazing. And thank you for joining us for this episode and sharing your insights with us. So as we draw to a close, can you let the listeners know if they can reach out to you via LinkedIn or would that be okay? Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn, Jennifer Baker, C-A-E. And I would love to connect with you and learn more about you and your work. And I love talking about this topic and I'm happy to share and connect. Yeah, likewise, search me up. Richard Green, green is in the color, Magex, M-A-D-G-E-X. Yeah, search me up, drop me a message. Same as Jennifer, I'm, I'm always delighted to talk on this topic. Brilliant. And of course, you can reach out to us, Wally Partner Solutions, on our 
website as well if you have any questions. And then for our listeners, please feel free to share any suggestions for topics and guests via the podcast page on our Wiley Partner Solutions website, which will be linked. There will be also links to any resources mentioned in today's show. And with that, I want to say that some of the topics that we touched on this episode will also be explored. It's like a bit of foreshadowing going on in future episodes like AI, accessibility and diversity. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Research Impact Podcast, conversations with publishing leaders on trends and solutions for open research. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review. 